0: Well, good evening, everyone. Very glad to be with you uh, tonight. If you want to open your Bibles to Genesis, the 15th chapter, that's where we're going to be uh, starting in our study together this evening. Glad everybody is here. I'd like to welcome all those who are watching online, those who are in the parking lot, as well as those who are here in the auditorium. I was thinking before we get started that this is the first Wednesday after the time change. So I've got a real challenge tonight in that everyone thinks it's almost bedtime and, and because it's dark outside, and you've had a long week, and now you're tired. But we're here to study, and we're going to stay as energized as possible for the next 40 minutes or so and try to cover some important stuff. And you guys are always great about being uh, good listeners, good Uh, comment makers and I appreciate the encouragement that you've given me. I want to say thank you to uh, Brian. I know he's not in here. He's teaching another class but uh, I listened to his class. Uh, He did an excellent job and the two things that he said at the introduction of his class I wanted to repeat because I thought it was of interest and that is number one, God has expectations of his people and number two, God's expectations include those who are worshiping him. And that was true from the very beginning, all the way back in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. And it's true as we look at the covenant relationship that develops in chapters 15 and 17, which we're going to get into tonight. So I appreciate Brian uh, teaching while I was away. And we're going to pick up and do 15, 16, 17, and 18 tonight. That is our plan. Let's go ahead and take a moment. Uh, and pray together, and then we'll read and study together. Our Father and our God, we approach you as the only creator, as the only one who exists, who brought this world into existence, as we've read in our study of Genesis, who provided for us the examples of men and women, both who did things well and those who did things poorly, so that we might learn from them. Help us to use this Old Testament text to help us to not only further our Bible knowledge, but to help us to use your word for good purposes in teaching and edifying and in encouraging each other. We thank you, Father, for this congregation. We pray your blessings on especially the younger people and the teachers who are engaged in their teaching We're so thankful for all the the good work that's being done tonight and that's been done uh, in preparation for tonight by those teachers. Bless the families and those who have prioritized being together for the purpose of worshiping and studying together as we do tonight. Thank you so much for your son Jesus, for the sacrifice that he made. Help us to live according to your will and according to his example. It's through him that we pray all these things. Amen. Okay, Uh, again, glad you're here. Uh, So last week, just a quick recap. We ended uh, with chapter 14 uh, on the subject of Lot's captivity and then of his rescue. This is, of course, not the final time that we are going to hear about Sodom and Gomorrah. In fact, that's going to be the tail end of our study together uh, tonight as we get into chapter 18. But I want to start with chapter 15 uh, and I want to start with just the first couple of words here uh, in chapter 15 and that is after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying do not be afraid I am your shield your exceedingly great reward. Um, And then as you kind of develop on you see where uh, he makes reference to this Eleazar of Damascus. And I, I think I had talked about this uh, two weeks ago, that it's going to be the... Actually, no, I'm going to talk about it here tonight. I was studying it two weeks ago. But here's one of the things that I think is important for us to, to notice as we spend just a few minutes on chapter 15. And that is, in verse 4, after talking about Eleazar, after he's already... We've already had some discussion about... Uh, we're going to have Ishmael tonight, is verse 4. Behold, the, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, talking presumably about Eleazar, or for that matter, even Lot, because you could make the argument that Lot was kind of a, a, a de facto son figure of Abraham or Abram. But one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. And so your very own son, some translations in verse four, rather than saying, come from your own body, say your very own son. And in fact, that seems to be a more literal interpretation or wording of what's going on here, your very own son. So not to be confused with Eleazar, not to be confused with Lot. And so remember that back in chapter 12, Abram had received the initial promise that great things were going to happen, the land promise, the nation promise, the heir promise, all the different things that were going to happen as a result of his child. And so Abram could have begun thinking, well, I bet it's going to be through Lot. He's going to be the one through whom that's going to be. No, that's not going to work. I bet it's going to be Eleazar. No, that's not going to be the case. It's going to be your very own son. And then when you get to his very own son in chapters fifteen, sixteen, 16, Ishmael, which was his son, no, it's not that one either. So sometimes God works in those ways that are beyond our imagination uh, or beyond what we would anticipate. And it reminds me of that passage in Ephesians chapter 3 where it talks about, I think it's in verse 20, where it says that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask Or think or imagine, some versions say. I want to go down and drop down, and and a repetition in verse 5 before we go to verse 8. He said to him, So shall your descendants be like the stars of heaven, count the stars if you're able to number them. So this is uh, a repeat. So when you think about Genesis, at least for me, I think about 12, 15, 17. I think about all three of those in the same kind of vein or category. They're all promises, and then a building on the promises, and then a building on the promises. And the key word, as we're going to get to, we'll conclude with applications, is there's always a covenant relationship between us and God. There's always that agreement between us and God. And that was the case going back to the very first covenant where he says, eat of every tree, but of the tree in the midst of the garden you shall not eat. So there's always these agreements between God and mankind. So speaking of covenants, let's go down to verse 8. He said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And so he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And then for someone who is completely foreign to the Bible, the, the series of events that happen in the next 10 verses or so would really kind of strike you as a little bit odd. But let's read just a couple of things here where it says in verse 10, cut them in two down the middle, and he placed each piece opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds in two. And when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And then this vision, this deep sleep happens to Abram in verses 12 through about verse 16. Uh, And verse 17, it came to pass when the sun went down and was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, "To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates." And then here we have the ites that uh, Brian talked about last week: the Kenites, the Kenazites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites. And so if you go back to, he had a chart up here. Uh, If you want that chart in email form or a similar one that I have in print form, happy to give that to you where it shows the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth and where they likely came from, where they likely ended up. Uh, And I thought he did a good job of talking about that. But let's talk about this making a covenant. That word make there uh, literally is the idea of cutting a covenant. So he was cutting a covenant and literally there was a cutting of the animals down the two. And historically, this is not just something that was germane to biblical people or biblical times. There seems to be evidence that other cultures, when they had a covenant, they would cut the covenant. Incidentally, remember that idea of a cutting as a part of a covenant which we'll get into in chapters 16, 17, and 18 here towards the end of our uh, subject tonight. So when you think about this, we may think that this is a sacrifice, but I would submit that this is not so much about a sacrifice, though obviously the animals who were involved may have uh, had a different opinion on that, uh, but rather a cultural concept of the times in which they lived. And then he makes reference to Abram, who's going to sleep, or Abram, who's going to die. And it seems to me that this is one of those places to kind of put a little note in your Bible that the ancient men who followed God had a knowledge of afterlife, that it was present with the patriarch. So when we think about heaven and hell, when we think about the grave, we know that those concepts are fleshed out very well in the New Testament. But the point that I'm making is that Old Testament characters seem to have some understanding of an afterlife as well, just maybe not quite as developed as in New Testament teachings. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Okay. All right. Very good. All right. Anything else on chapter 15? Uh, as as always, we move rather briskly, but anything on chapter 15? And we'll bring a microphone to you. Just raise your hand. Uh, if you've got a, a pithy comment, we'll just, just shout it out, and I'll repeat it for the benefit of everyone. All right. Okay, thank you, David. Um, anything? Okay, chapter 16. Let's go ahead and move to chapter 16. Thank you, David, for being ready at the ready. Uh, okay, let's move on to chapter 16. Chapter 16, if I remember correctly, I did an entire sermon on, on not so much chapter 16 as a text, but I think I entitled it one of the longest uh, recorded titles in, in sermon history, Regrets Lessons Learned the Hard Way. I forget what I called it, but I think I, I, think I preached it four or five months. ago. Anyway, I've, I've preached that sermon before. And I use this text wherein the large point that I'm trying to make is that when we take things that God has planned and we put it in our own uh, hands – and we try to mess up or otherwise improve on what the Lord has planned, bad things happen. And that was certainly the case here in chapter 16. Um, Sarai's barrenness was embarrassing. Why was that the case? Why why was she so concerned about this in a word or two? Because this, and this is a very uh, important theme or motif in the Old Testament is women who are unable to bear children, at least for a period of time. But why is that such a big deal for her? I would would suggest that, again, we have to appreciate the culture and the lack of medical technology that existed uh, 4,000 years ago. It was an ancient belief that when a man and a woman, when a husband and wife were unable to bear children... That, well, it's obviously her fault. Uh, it's, she's the one who's responsible. And the other thing is to not have children, both for the man and for the wife, was akin to why did we even get married in the first place? Why do I even exist? Because your existence is referenced based on your children. And there's certainly something to be said for that even today but not to, not to that extreme. We want children. We want people to grow up after us oftentimes. But back then, if you did not have that happen, it was almost like you were a scourge to society. And so this was a very serious thing. So when we see that Rachel is unable to have children, when we see that other women in Scripture are unable to have children, that is a very important concept to make sure that we appreciate So Sarai has a plan. We are familiar with chapter 16, so we're going to read just a couple of verses just to refresh ourselves. But in verse 2, Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. That is a true statement. The Lord has restrained her. Please go into my maid, whose name is Hagar, as we read in verse 1. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. So what's the problem with this? And it, or maybe I should say, what are some of the problems with this? And I kind of alluded to it a, a minute or so ago, but what, what's the big deal here? Because we know that culturally this happened on numerous occasions.
1: God giving them specific instructions on how it
0: be. Very excellent point. I like the word that you used. Nathan uses the word specific. God has given specific instructions, and you're going back to chapter fifteen, verse four the very own son, your very own son from your very own flesh, from your own body. So I think the key thing here is they are taking God's plan, what God has suggested, not suggested, has mandated as being his plan, and they're throwing it out the window saying we're going to create our own substitute plan. So the real problem is taking God's plan and substituting. And I put There in capital letters, with a capital T, with their plan. So I think that's what we have to appreciate is going on here. Um, I had never thought about this until uh, I was studying this um, and preparing for this. I want to look at chapter 16, verses 3 and 4 and read them very deliberately. Verse 3 says, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid the Egyptian, gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan. So he went in to Hagar, she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Compare that to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, which is another very familiar text to us, says, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. So there are three key words, gave, took, and accept. That even though those words aren't directly uh, connected in repetition in 3, 6, verses 16, 3 through 4, the concept is very much there. It's almost like the same thing sinful action undertaken by Eve and Adam in the garden is now paralleled in the sinful action of Sarai in choosing to take God's plan into her own hands. I thought that was kind of interesting. I never really thought about that or noticed that before that there may be some parallel between those particular concepts. Uh, thoughts on that before we kind of, I'm going to kind of move into a different direction in chapter 16. And again, just raise your hand and we'll come bring you Michael, David over here, uh, David and then Nathan. So, uh, and what I want us to do here in just a second is go ahead and transition to verse seven. So David Tirado in the very back.
1: So I think it was a matter of desperation on her part. Um, That's one, a good word. Uh, she was supposed, well, April. Abraham- Was supposed to have an heir, and that's you know seemed pretty bad if she can't do it. She's of age, Mm -hmm. and um, she got desperate. It took 25 years, and she lacked faith at the moment. I guess absolutely, I'm done. Uh, Go and do what you need to do because you were
0: promised. I like those words that David Toronto used for those of you who so you may want to know who's speaking. Um, But desperation, lacking faith. When we are desperate and we lack faith, we make poor choices, do we not? That's exactly what's happening. All right, uh, Brother Nathan.
1: I think, you know, I guess the question sort of rattles around in my mind is with their altering of God's plan, did, could that have possibly prolonged the time before she was able to have Isaac? Um, have Isaac? You know? yeah. if, if they would have went along with his plan, we don't know, but... Could it be perceived that, you know, possibly Isaac could have came along earlier rather than later on if they would have just stuck with his plan? All? Sure.
0: Certainly possible. I mean, we know that God um, has his timetables, but we also know that God is willing to, as we get into chapter 18, he's willing to work with us, willing to work with Abram or Abraham at that point. Um, so that, that's an interesting point as well. I want to kind of shift gears Uh, Because I'm I'm trusting that we are familiar with all the different lessons of chapter 16 um, as we fleshed out in previous studies. But I want to spend just a moment on verse 7. One of my favorite concepts, and I have a whole series of sermons that maybe I'll preach at some point um, on this particular subject. Verse 7 says, Now the angel of the Lord found her, talking about who? Hagar. Found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. By the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from? Where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your sins exceedingly so that they will be counted. And then the angel of the Lord, and then he goes on and talks. And then um, we see four different times there, the angel of the Lord. This is the first time I'm having such time with this tonight. There we go. Those of you. You Can we just switch the pulpit? Do you mind? So for those of you in the parking lot, you're missing uh, technical difficulties here. There we go. Um, Otherwise, I'll be so distracted by that. Wendy will tell you that she can multitask because she's a female. I can't multitask. I can't do that and do this at the same time. All right, so this is the first time that the angel of the Lord is referenced, a phrase that is used some 70 times in the Old Testament um, and is not employed in the New Testament. So this is beyond the scope of our study together tonight as to who the angel of the Lord is. But there is something to be said for it. Some sort of special, specific angel, because there are angels. We know that there are angels that all the time are interacting and and delivering messages. We know that there are angels who appear uh, later in the story at Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Uh, But the angel of the Lord, who is he? What is he? Is he supposed to be someone's particular uh, if we have some time tonight if we have questions i 'll share with you who I think it is or what I think it is, or you can just ask me later, but I' to leave that as a as a opportunity to discuss later. So I have a series of, of seven sermons or eight sermons on angels, um, and it was one of the most fascinating personal studies I ever engaged in because I was like this there 's just so much in the Bible about them that we don 't know, but yet when you explore. There are, I think there's more to know than we sometimes give ourselves credit for. So we'll come back and talk about that if we have time. But I want to get into Ishmael, though, in chapter 16. It says in verse 13, I'm sorry, in verse 11, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has heard your affliction. So we have here the birth of Ishmael uh, by way of Hagar, And his name, as is referenced here, is the idea of God hearing your affliction. Literally, it's the idea of God hearing or God listening. In verse 12, he shall be a wild man. He shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So he will be called a wild man and he is also one who is going to be associated with violence and an unsettled nature. What else do we know about Ishmael? Because this is obviously this, this point that he's going to be unsettled and violence. Is that true? Absolutely, it's true, right? It's true historically in biblical times. You could even make the argument not to get too far ahead of ourselves because we want to talk a little bit about. Um, Jewish state concept. Uh, It's even true today uh, in that the descendants of Ishmael are very much opposed to the descendants of his stepbrother, I guess you could call him, Isaac, right? So we'll get into that when we get into the the idea of a Jewish state. But I wanted to just, before we finish up in chapter 16 here, I wanted to, to note this, and that is the focus on Hagar, um, three different times, for example, verse 15, where it says, Hagar bore Abram a son. On three different occasions in in the course of just a few verses, it says, Hagar gave birth, not Sarah. So it's almost as if God is, is putting a big highlighter on this saying, Hagar gave birth, Hagar gave birth. Hagar gave birth. It wasn't you, Sarah. And I, I, I think there's something to what Nathan said in that, and, and what David Toronto said, that that desperation uh, where you interrupt God's plans, well, you, I guess you can't interrupt God's plans. Well, I guess you can. but You cannot change God's plans, but you can cause God to change his mind. We know that we pray to God so that he will in, uh, uh, intercede for us on particular occasions. Uh, whether it be physical or spiritual, whatever. But I thought that was interesting that he keeps saying, Hagar gave birth, Hagar gave birth, Hagar gave birth. All right, Uh, I want to go ahead and move on to chapter 17 because chapter 17 is big. It's, again, all about the covenant. Uh, Verse 1, Abram was 99 years old. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Remember when we talked about the, uh, three weeks ago, the identifications of God, we talked about El Aeon, we talked about Jehovah, we talked about Elohim, and we talked about El Shaddai. This is the first time that we are introduced to the idea of God Almighty. It's a yet another name uh, for God, another description, another way of understanding who he is and what his personality is all about. This is also where uh, the name change happens in chapter 17, where you have the move from Abram to Abraham on this particular occasion. Uh, what does the name Abraham mean in a phrase? The father of nations. Okay, you got two correct answers. The idea of exaltation, right? And the idea of a father of nations or a father of many nations. In fact, our children sometimes sing a song Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them. So let's just praise the Lord. Left arm, right arm. I don't know. I don't know what they do, but uh, that's how I learned it. Um, but I think that's interesting to appreciate that he's going to be the father of a multitude. Notice if you would the irony. Abraham. Now Abraham is going to be the father of many nations, and Abraham standing there scratching his head, saying, "How's that going to happen when I don't have any children?" and my wife uh, has concocted this plan to have children, but it's very clear that that's not what God wants or what God wanted. I think that's probably something that Abraham and Sarah, uh, one of the points in that sermon on Genesis 16 is the idea we, we live to regret our poor choices. And I think that was clearly the case. In fact, remember what uh, Sarai said to Abram? She said, you take her, you deal with her, do whatever you want. And in a very rude tone, as I can only imagine, was the case. And uh, so yet he's going to be the father of these many nations. Verse 7, let's drop down uh, to verse 7 in the text. He says, I will establish my covenant. So there's the C word again, yet again, between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant To be God to you, to your descendants, after you. Uh, That everlasting covenant is the idea of into the hidden future. So, and the reason I point that out is because this concept causes confusion or sometimes even misteaching in modern times. And the point that I'm making is this, is that this is one of the places that modern people will turn to to say the, the Jews are a special people today, that physical Israel is a special place today. Now, we know that physical Israel, the country, has only been around for, what, 60 62 years now? Uh, 1947, 48 is when that was created as a, a state. A nation-state, but whether you know it or not, there are there are people who believe, and I think you do know this, that we have to protect physical Israel because that's where the Messiah is going to end up. I always thought it was kind of interesting. In addition to just the physical idea of the Messiah, which is in violation of Luke twenty-four with Cleopas and the road to Emmaus and that conversation, but the other thing is. We've got to protect and make sure that God's plans get done. I mean, if that's my job to make sure that God gets his job done. God's going to get his job done whether we want it or not. Um, but in fact, I would submit, as from a political point of view, that much of foreign policy that deals with modern Israel is rooted in this idea that we have to be friends. Now, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't be. I, I think there's some serious um, national security concerns that have to be evaluated. So don't, I don't want you to say, well, Leland's politically as opposed to some conservative policy regarding military, aid or something. it had nothing to do with that. But the point that I'm making is that there are people who believe and act according to the idea that we have to protect physical Israel because that's where the Messiah is going to end up. That's where he's going to come. That's where he's going to rule from. And they'll point to passages like this. That's why I put up there the idea of into the hidden future. What God is promising here is that all nations, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, are going to benefit from the uh, Messiah who comes, Galatians chapter 3, as the seed of of the woman as opposed to Satan and his powers. Um, Let's go ahead because we're going to run out of time here. And I I promise to save at least two minutes for some comments toward the end. I want to go into chapter 17 a little bit further. He says, you shall keep my covenant, verse 9. This is the covenant, verse 10, which you shall keep between me and your descendants after you. Uh, colon or quote, every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house, he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. My covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And someone who's not shall be, verse 14, cut off from among the people. He has broken my covenant. Um, Interestingly enough, here's a cutting involving a covenant again. And someone who does not cut the covenant will be cut off. So I don't think that's accidental language. I think that's purposeful. So if we do not do what God says in cutting ourselves off from the world... We talk about spiritual circumcision circumcision of the heart there will be a cutting off of god from us so that's kind of interesting to think about as well that being said uh let's spend just a moment or two on the command of circumcision so god sets this out as a part of uh of his relationship with them but why because he doesn't go into a lot of details, say, this is the purpose of it. This is the reason why he, he hints at it a little bit. But thoughts on that. I, I have a thought, but I wanted to see if maybe you have something different. So let's start there. What is, why? Because, and the re- part of the reason I ask that is, someone who is foreign to the Bible, the first time they read this, they're going to say, what in the world is going on, right? Because it doesn't make any sense to them because they don't have all the scriptures to put it together. So how would we explain that? I know that's a kind of a, a tough question. Anybody have a thought? Otherwise, I'll share mine. Yeah, David.
1: Are you how we explain circumcision? Sure. As as an act that sets them apart.
0: Okay. Good. Yeah, I think the key, and I, I'm going to make myself a note there. I like that phrase, the idea of set apart. We talk about sanctification, the idea of being set apart as well. Um, absolutely, I think that's a key part. And the other thing, and I'll go to and put up the next point that I was, I was making, and, and David's on the track that I was there, is the idea of but why is that it was a sign to themselves, a sign to themselves as opposed to a sign to someone else. So it's a reminder of the fact that we are set apart, that we are different. Um. The other thing that I came across is, and I've I've been debating how to say this as delicately as I possibly can, and fortunately we have a a group of individuals that are mature enough that I think I can be a little more um, clarifying, that when you think about God's initial statements back in Genesis 2, he says, be fruitful, be multiplied, and, and multiply. We think about Genesis chapter 12, Many people will come as a result of you. We think about now Genesis 16 to 17. His name is changed to father of many nations, to the idea of Abraham. Um, So this idea of procreation is tied with circumcision, which is then tied with the idea of fulfilling God's promises and a reminder that God is going to bless them continually going forward. So I thought there might be a connection there as well. So that's as delicate as I can say it. Thoughts before we move on to chapter, well, actually we've got to do one more, chapter 17. It's funny how when you're teaching, time flies. Hopefully not when you're sitting that it drags on forever, right? Okay, chapter 17 continued. Let's talk about Sarai, whose name means princess. Uh, incidentally, uh, when we talk about uh, Isaac, his name, what does Isaac's name mean? Anybody know? It means laughter. It means something that is, and we're going to talk about laughter here in just a second. But one of the things that is a segue to engage in a spiritual conversation, Carrie talked about the idea of trying to study with people, trying to make that impact on people, uh, is whenever you meet an Isaac, depending on how your relationship's going with that person, you can say, well, that's kind of a funny name. And they'll say, what do you mean? Sometimes they'll get it. I laugh at your name. And then say, well, you know, we just learned in Bible class that, um, that Isaac means laughter. And, of course, then they're going to ask you, well, where do you go to church? Or what do you believe? Or what, like Carrie said on Sunday, what kind of a Christian are you, right? And so that opens up a conversation. Same with, same with Sarah. You say, oh, princess, your name means princess. That's what the, that's what the Bible talks about. Uh, and then there's your opening as well. Uh, when we get into Rachel and Leah, we'll have to pause on that. Uh, because of Leah's name, uh, but we'll 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 deal with that when the time comes. One of my favorite points. I have a sister named Leah, and she's obviously good looking because she's related to me. Uh, so Abraham laughs here on this particular occasion. Sarah laughing is not until chapter 18, right? Am I right? Yeah. So we don't get Sarah's record of laughing until chapter 18. It's chapter 17 where Abraham laughs. There are a couple of possible interpretations for that. And I don't know which one is which. I can tell you what my personal one is um, when we get to that point. Some interpret it as a scoffing laughing. (laughs) Ha ha. You mean I'm, because he says he falls on his face laughing. Some interpret it secondly as he falls on his face laughing with joy over I'm going to have a child. It's one of those two or somewhere in between. But the key thing that I want us to to note is rather than Abraham saying, no, that's just the silliest notion I've ever heard of, uh, Abraham obeys and he does so immediately. If you look at verse uh, 22... Uh, He finished talking with him. God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house, all who were bought with money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, circumcised the flesh. The same thing in verses 26 and 27. So Abraham is immediately obeying God with the covenant of circumcision. So the point that that I guess that I'm trying to make and maybe not making it well is that if he would have questioned God, he may not have made those particular choices uh, otherwise. Then again, Genesis chapter 12, the first time we are really introduced to Abraham, God says, Do X. Abraham says, Yes, sir, I'll do it without question. So that's kind of the, the character of Abraham and why he's such a, 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 a profound example of faith. Uh, let's go to Genesis 18 where we see that Sarah laughs, but first we see these three men, maybe uh, I should maybe put men in quotes there, uh, who approach. Uh, Abraham, uh, and what does Abraham say to Sarah? What does he say do, in short? Set the table, fix something, right? Let's let's show hospitality to these individuals. Hospitality was prized as a privilege. So uh, rather than it being a, oh boy, now I've got to entertain them, in their culture, it was hugely an honor. It was a huge honor to be able to say, wow, you've come to my house. Let me spread the table for you. It's like when you, you haven't seen your grandma in, in a month and she fixes you like 23 eggs and six pounds of mm-hmm. bacon and you see how I grew up, you know. That's the, you know, shut the table because this is great. We're going we're gonna to rejoice. We're going to have um, a, a party here. We're going to show hospitality. Go down in chapter 18 to verse 9. Where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. Um, incidentally, Abram, Abraham did not say, by the way, my wife's name is Sarah. They knew Sarah's <laughs> name. Something to be said about that. You know, God knows all things, of course. Um I will certainly return to you according to the time of life and behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. So very explicit language in verse 10 uh, where you see the promise of a son. And what does Sarah do? In my Bible, uh, in the New King James, it is a parenthetical statement. Sarah was listening in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old Well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah, this time the phrase that is used, verse 12, laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also. So now Sarah laughs. And then you have this really uncomfortable, cringeworthy situation where in verse 13, the Lord says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Shall I surely bear a child since I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you according to the life of time and Sarah and shall have a son. But Sarah denied it. I'm thinking at this point, the blood drained from her face. She says, I did not laugh for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And I've always thought it interesting that that's the, the end of the argument right there. Sarah didn't say, no, 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 I didn't. <laughs> she knew she was caught, kind of sweet. Is there a difference between Abraham laughing and Sarah laughing? And I, and I don't know that I know the perfect answer. Part of that depends on how you go back and you read the first laughing of Abraham, right? Um, just thought that was kind of interesting to, to pause for just a moment. Yeah, uh, over here, David uh, Nathan. Um, and then we're going to finish up here with the last twenty verses or so of chapter eighteen. Uh, Brother Nathan, now uh, I was in reference to your
1: last question about was there any difference between the? I I, I don't think there really much was because they both followed up their laughter in a sense with the question of, you know, I'm old, you know, how is this going to be? So it was like they were questioning mm-hmm. what God had said. So to me, that's where the similarities come sure. in. Sure, that's very and, fair. And it's, it's not more of the laughter of joy, as it, to me it reads as it's more
0: of the laughter of doubt or questioning okay. God due that, to their age. <laughs> very well could be the case. And I, I like the, the phrase, you use. I try to pay attention to the phrases that people use, the idea of obedience that came forthcoming as a result of it. All right, we've got, uh, looks like two minutes left here and Sodom and Gomorrah. We're going to spend more time on Sodom and Gomorrah next week, Lord willing, as we get into the destruction. But just a couple of of points here. Um, There is an outcry uh, that transpires where God is very uh, and apparently displeased with the people, their extreme evil, Um, the idea of God going down, to me, illustrates his patience with the people. The last thing, though, is that there is this, what I call, the bargaining. Remember where he starts with 50 to 45 to 40 to 30 to 20 to 10? And he gets to a point where, uh, conceivably, Lot's family was more than just four people. And what the sad, kind of sobering thing is, is there were people in Lot's family, presumably... Potentially, who were involved in the sinful activity of the city in which he lived? Then again, we know that that was already kind of hinted at back in Genesis, what fourteen, where it says that Lot pitched his tent even towards Sodom. The, the this uh, predisposition to being involved in evil company, and what did Carrie talk about Sunday morning? 1 Corinthians fifteen thirty-three was that evil company that corrupts those good habits. Um, any thoughts on that? Because we're going to run out of time. But on um, the idea of... Uh, let me let me share with you my thought. I think that this is an opportunity for God to showcase Abraham's concern for humanity. Um, God says, sure, if I find, if you find 50, I'll, I'm, I'm willing to deal with that. 45, I'm willing to deal with that. 40, I'm willing, 30, 20, 10. I think in part... This is helping to showcase Abraham's character as a person who cared about others. Um, more about that as we conclude here. Let me just go through these quick three observations and then we'll see we've done. One, we have to trust God and His Word and never substitute His plans for us. Never, ever, ever can we say, Well, I want to improve on God's plans in our personal lives, in our. Uh, congregational lives, in church governance, in church activity, we cannot say, well, God said do this, but I think it's better to do something else. Secondly, there is always a covenant relationship between us and God. And I think that's, that's the, you know, t- today's lesson has been brought to you by the word covenant, because that's the key word. And thirdly, God is patient and wants us to be persistent in seeking the spiritual welfare of others. That's the point that I was making about Abraham. I think that one of the reasons that that God does the 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10 thing is one, God's showing himself to be patient, kind, and loving. But at the same time, it's an opportunity for Abraham to showcase, I care about these people. And God says, I'm willing to work with you on that. So uh, 30 seconds for last second comments or anything that you may have. Otherwise, we'll go ahead and close up. I know we went through a lot. All right, thank you all very much. Next week. Uh, We'll start with chapter 19. Uh, Go ahead and read through the next three or four chapters, and we'll look forward to studying together. Thanks for being such a, a, a good group of listeners.